This podcast is a production of Open Pediatrics, a free online resource for health professionals' education. Visit openpediatrics.org for more. Hello, and welcome to this Open Pediatrics Nursing Wheelchair Practice Podcast. My name is Michelle DeGrazia, and today I will be discussing the topic of post-traumatic stress disorder with my guest, Michelle Schuster, Staff Nurse 2 from the Pediatric Hematology Oncology Unit at Boston Children's Hospital and doctoral student at the University of Massachusetts Dartmouth. And Dr. Patricia Dwyer, Director of Nursing Research of Satellite Clinical Services at Boston Children's Hospital. Welcome, Michelle and Tricia. To begin, I'd like to have you tell the listeners a little bit about yourselves and how you became interested in this topic of post-traumatic stress disorder. Thank you so much, Dr. DeGrazia. I appreciate you inviting us here today to talk about this. So I'm Michelle Schuster, and as mentioned, I am a staff nurse at Boston Children's Hospital. I work in the Pediatric Hematology Oncology Unit, and I've been there for almost five years now. Pediatric Hematology Oncology is where I started in my first job in Houston and where I continue now. It's a field that I feel very passionate about, and I'm excited just to continue in this field and continue to talk about and advocate about an issue that's really important to me and my colleague, Dr. Dwyer, which is post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, and specifically looking at it in the nursing population. So I became interested in this topic really because of work-related situations that I encountered during my first job in Texas as a new graduate nurse. It was both direct and indirect traumas that I experienced repeatedly over a few years, and eventually I realized I just can't continue on in this job. But I didn't know it was post-traumatic stress disorder until I actually left that position and started a new job here at Boston Children's Hospital that I began to realize I was having some of those same symptoms of hyperarousal and thinking that things were going to get bad like I knew that they had been before. But then I really started to do some more self-reflection and think, well, why am I so worried about this? And why am I, you know, experiencing things that aren't truly happening in front of me? So I decided to see a therapist and it was really her who was the first one to say, it sounds like you have post-traumatic stress disorder from your first nursing job. So that was really eye-opening to me. And I wasn't aware initially that nurses could suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder who didn't have a military background. So I was so kind of wanting to learn more about this. And so it was really my personal journey and encounters that led me down this path of clinical inquiry. Well, Michelle, thank you for that very um, warm welcome. And it's really great to be here and um, great to be here with my colleague, Michelle Schuster, who I've worked with um, quite a while now, because um, as you'll find out, we have really a shared interest and some really um, shared experiences, even though um, I'm much older than Michelle. I actually started my career at Boston Children in 1989. So if you do the quick math, that's um, uh, 31 years ago. And I started as a staff nurse um, on a pediatric surgical unit. I always tell the funny story that um, I only wanted to work at Boston Children. So I only printed out one resume and luckily I got the job on a surgical unit. Um, Over the years, I subsequently went back and did a master's uh, degree in nursing education and then a PhD in nursing. Um, But over the last 30 years, I've continued to work clinically. And it's really um, my clinical experiences that have driven my research passions. So um, what I, my research focus is, 
is this understanding of the relationship between workforce issues and their impact on organizations and really the emotional and physical well-being of nurses. Um, my program of research uses what I call a social ecological perspective to really look at individual, interpersonal, and organizational factors and how they interact and collectively influence um, organizational outcomes or employee outcomes. Comes. It's really my belief that this focus on fostering nurses' human resource strengths and their psychological capabilities is really going to be essential in supporting excellence in patient care and well-being for the profession. So similar to Michelle, early, early on in my career, um, when I uh, witnessed a pretty traumatic code, which, I mean, even 30 years late later, I look at this code as probably one of the most traumatic that I had witnessed. And it just happened to happen within six year, six months of me starting um, as a new nurse. So I was just young and 22. And I was definitely having symptoms of re-experiencing the event and hyperarousal. But back then, I had no understanding that this was likely PTSD. And I didn't understand that this was potentially a workforce issue that um, I needed to be aware of. So this early experience as a new graduate nurse, again, you know, over 30 years ago, really has fueled this passion for understanding professional workforce issues. And this includes emotional toll of practice and post-traumatic stress disorder being one of those. Well, thank you both for sharing a little bit about your personal stories and how you got to this place. Let me start with Michelle. It sounds like post-traumatic stress disorder is a bit difficult to identify. Can you explain how it is defined? I will. And I think that's a great place for us to open up this podcast. So I'm happy you asked about that. Um, Trisha and I both mentioned kind of certain things that we experienced, but post-traumatic stress disorder is really a phenomenon that can develop in nurses and it can occur after direct or indirect experiences. So as Trisha mentioned, she had a direct code that she was a part of in witnessing and those are direct traumas. In addition to those, I also experienced some indirect traumas as well, leading to workforce issues and low staffing and just feeling overextended. And like, I didn't have help in situations where I needed help. So it's interesting thinking about the dynamic of both direct and indirect. Um, but really, post-traumatic stress disorder can be divided up into four main categories of symptoms. And it's important to note that not everybody will have all four of these or not everybody will react in the same way. So Trisha and I could experience the same event, but walk away with two completely different experiences. So it's important to remember that people can have different reactions. So one, might, one nurse might find a patient experience to be traumatic while another may not. So the four main categories of PTSD include the first one, intrusive thoughts or re-experiencing the event. So that can include thinking about an event while you're home, or maybe it's waking you up at night, or maybe you're having these invasive dreams, or even just re-experiencing the event. So maybe you walked into that same room where a traumatic code happened, even though it was a week, a month ago, different patients are in that room now, you start to feel all those feelings and your amygdala is kind of on hijacked and you're worried about these things that aren't truly happening right in that moment. Another category um, of symptoms involves avoiding situations. 
that serve as reminders of the events. So sadly, this actually leads to many nurses leaving the profession altogether. They take avoiding and maybe think, you know what, nursing is not what I thought it was. And maybe they switch to a different discipline altogether. Or like me, maybe they just switch different nursing career paths or different organizations. So these can definitely lead to other things such as avoiding taking care of certain types of patients that maybe are triggers or that you really feel like have bad memories attached to them. The third category is negative changes in thoughts and feeling. So that's really kind of those internal feelings. Maybe the nurse is starting to become more angry or maybe they're feeling more depressed. They might have a harder time relating to their families and friends and they might not truly know what's going on but they just feel like something has changed within them. And the fourth category, which is something that I experienced a lot was this hyper arousal. So this is a constant feeling of being on edge or feeling threatened when there's no actual danger present. So you're almost expecting to walk into a traumatic or a very high intense situation, your body's on alert, but in reality, that's not happening. And yet you're going through those motions and emotions and your body, your elevated heart rate, everything is acting like, oh, there should be danger but there's not. So those are some of the main categories of PTSD. So Tricia, it sounds like some of the symptoms Michelle mentioned are the same as burnout. Is there a relationship between these two concepts? Well, the research will tell you there is some um, association between burnout and PTSD. So Burnout may influence PTSD development, but I think it is important for us to understand that they are conceptually different. So when you think about burnout, the most prominent theoretical perspective is something called the multidimensional perspective of burnout. And um, this defines burnout as a prolonged response to chronic emotional and interpersonal stresses on the job. And what it is seen is three dimensions, emotional exhaustion, cynicism, and inefficacy. So the first one, I think most people are familiar with this feelings of emotional exhaustion. It's really um, the face of burnout, they say, because I think a lot of nurses might have had this feeling at one point in their career. So what it does is um, you start to feel emotionally exhausted because of all the prolonged stresses on the job. And what you do is try to protect yourself. So you go through a process called depersonalization, or it's sometimes called cynicism. So emotional exhaustion prompts people to distance themselves from the people that they're caring for. And this is an attempt to cope. Um, and the process leads to cynicism because it's easier to cope when you're with these overwhelming job demands if care recipients are not really considered personal to you or if they're considered more impersonal objects. So in our effort to protect ourselves from these feelings of emotional exhaustion, what we do is pull back. But unfortunately, once we pull back in this effort to protect ourselves, we have this reduced feelings of personal accomplishment and ineffectiveness in our jobs. So this is when that last kind of inefficacy develops really in, in response to emotional exhaustion and cynicism, because it erodes a worker's sense of accomplishment, um, kind of in parallel with the other dimensions of burnout. So it really is interesting, but it's important for us to remember that PTSD and burnout are a bit different. 
So if you think about burnout as the syndrome resulting in chronic work stress, PTSD really needs an exposure to a traumatic, either directly or indirectly, an exposure to a stressful event. And this is outside the kind of normal range of usual human experience. So as Michelle said, not all exposures result in PTSD, but if a provider is experiencing these sort of persistent symptoms, they're going to need additional help um, and they'll, they should be reaching out for professional support. In contrast, when we're thinking about burnout, the interventions are more directed at the organization. So we are thinking about decreased clinical demands, increased teamwork, increased perceptions of workplace empowerment or control. There is a difference between just needing a break and then needing help. So unlike burnout, post-traumatic stress is really something that if it's persistent and prolonged, you should be looking at thinking about reaching out to clinical support, reaching out to your primary care provider, reaching out to um, human resources or a therapist. It is a disorder recognized by the Statistical Manual of Medical Disorders. So keep that in mind that if it's prolonged symptoms of PTSD, seek additional support or help as a, as a primary intervention. And I just wanted to add on top of that, I'm so happy you mentioned that. And for me, that was what I had to do. And it was honestly one of the best decisions I made for my personal life, but also in my career, because I knew that being a nurse was something so important to me, but without being able to work through it with professional assistance and working week by week with my therapist, I don't, be, I don't believe that I would be able to continue on in this profession, which I love. Yeah. And some of that work can be like cognitive therapy, exposure therapy. They do eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing. Um, and sometimes with or without medication. Well, you two have given us so much to think about. It's not a common topic that we hear discussed amongst nurses. Um, so I think it's a really important topic to bring here to the Nursing World Share Practice Forum. I've seen that you recently published an integrative review on post-traumatic stress disorder. I was wondering if you can explain a little bit about what you found when you did that body of work. Trisha and I really started looking at this issue before COVID-19 was really on the radar. And I, and I say that because a lot of this initial work that we did, as you mentioned, it was, it was published recently. So it was actually published last year in March of 2020, right before kind of COVID kicked up. But we were really interested just in finding out, okay, what is the state of the science out there? How many people and how many nurses are experienced post-traumatic stress disorder? So the best way to find this out was to really do a deep dive and do a thorough literature review. So we found that a range of 6.7 all the way up to 95.7% of nurses experience at least one symptom of PTSD. So if you remember those four that I talked about earlier in the program, it, one of those symptoms is experienced by many, many nurses. But when looking at nurses that meet full criteria for PTSD diagnoses, that range ranges from 8.5% up to 20.8%. So thinking about that and trying to put it in perspective, just looking at the United States alone, approximately 7 to 8% of all people, not just healthcare workers, will develop PTSD at some point in their lives. So this means that the risk of developing post-traumatic stress disorder is actually higher in nurses than it is in the general population. When I found that out, I was just very, I was very struck by that and very interested. And I thought, 
well, are nurses talking about this enough? Are we mentioning this to our colleagues and are we working to really protect ourselves as we do these professions that we love? So one of the reasons why in our literature review, we found such a wide range of um, percentages of nurses experiencing either one symptom or full diagnostic criteria was that we found that some researchers used a variety of um, diagnostic measures and some only measured, as I mentioned, full versus one symptom. So there is a lot of different tools out there to measure post-traumatic stress disorder. And many of those have changed throughout the years as the DSM-5 has been updated. So it's interesting looking back through the literature and how PTSD was measured maybe 20 years ago has changed a little bit more than how it is now. Absolutely, because this was, um, and Michelle will tell you too, quite a labor of love for us. We worked on it for probably a, the solid year prior to its publication. And the timing of it, I think, was was right on because this seems to be a topic that has been um, put on the forefront right now just because of everything that's happening um, during the pandemic. But one of our main objectives, besides really looking at kind of what the prevalence of PTSD was, we were trying to understand what factors were associated with PTSD, what factors really influenced um, symptom development in nurses. So what we found was that, and this was no surprise really, that nurses do report PTSD. And it is because they have that exposure. So you have to have been directly or indirectly exposed to a traumatic event. And it's not surprising that yes, in our profession, we are exposed. So that was not a surprise. Um, we came up with a lot of different factors that in the literature were associated with PTSD symptomology. And we, what we did was did a thematic analysis and came up with four themes. And those were the workplace matters, relationships matters, it hurts to care, and then interpersonal strengths. So the first one was the workplace matters. So what we found was, of course, your work environment is going to make a difference in how it influenced PTSD development. So what we found was some subspecialties might be more at risk. And what we saw was the ED and psychiatric units were more likely to experience incidents of aggression. So they were potentially at risk. And also any type of subspecialty where you're participating in direct traumatic events like CPR, witnessing massive hemorrhaging, open wounds. Interestingly, this is kind of that overlap with burnout too, workplace frustration. So they causing recurrent indirect trauma leading to the development of PTSD over time. So this kind of stressful work environments. And so dealing with these issues outside the nursing role, when you're feeling overextended, inadequate staffing, lack of resources, this might not be the exposure, but it might also influence the development when you are exposed. So the issues are described often lead to burnout. So there really isn't a surprise that there's that connection between burnout and PTSD. So also um, perceptions of care. When nurses viewed care as, as substandard or futile care to critically ill or terminal patients, nurses described this as traumatic. Those are kind of the main things that we saw in the literature about the actual workplace, so your physical working environment and how that impacts the development of PTSD. 
the second category that really came out after the workplace matters was this theme of relationships matter. So looking at the interpersonal relationships first, so that of the nurse and others. So we looked at both relationships at work and relationships at home, and those really did have an influence. So at the workplace, having unsupportive peer relationships, encountering conflicts with colleagues, and even things like workplace bullying, those are all found to be contributing to PTSD in nurses. Additionally, when we looked at those relationships that the nurse experiences outside of their work family or their work environment, those relationships at home, those were so important. The family, the uh, friend support, marriage, having children, those were actually inversely associated with increased symptoms of PTSD in several articles. So those supportive relationships that we found, such as among peers and supervisors, had that protective effect against post-traumatic stress disorder. So it was really interesting to think about how much that work environment and your colleagues really can impact your overall well-being. The next one that we found um, is in the category of it hurts to care. So this is where Trisha and I had a lot of really great discussions and about our passions and interests in the nursing field and really looking at that emotional toll of caring and what it means to be a nurse. So what we found within the literature is that death to a child or adolescent, it was seen as unnatural, unusual, but that was one of the most commonly reported factors in the literature cited as traumatic events for nurses. So working in a pediatric hospital and being a hemoc nurse, this is something that I do have a lot of exposure to, but there are differences between good deaths and bad deaths. And it's a very interesting world that we live in and that we work in as nurses, but to many people who don't work in this field all the time, so many times there are traumatic events. So in addition to it hurts to care, witnessing those deaths, but also witnessing suffering. So this was in patients at any age. If they identified with a victim, maybe they were around the same age, or maybe they were in similar ages as the nurses, maybe kids, identifying with that victim, having a high emotional involvement or close relationships, or feeling like they weren't able to save a particular patient. Those are some of what we found in the literature contributed to witnessing suffering and feeling that it really was that emotional toll of caring and getting close to a family, getting close to a patient and feeling responsible in some ways or just feeling overwhelmed by what they were experiencing day in and day out. And the very last theme that we came up with was interpersonal strengths. And this really speaks to that, I mean, as nurses, we're all individuals and how we experience things is different because we come to the workplace with different traits and interpersonal strengths. So one thing was coping. So people cope differently with different stressful or traumatic events. So what we saw was that active problem focused um, actually reduced distress and fatigue, but emotional coping was um, in avoidance patterns really actually was um, associated with increased risk for PTSD symptomology. So the other important issue was your actual personality, type D personality was correlated with increased PTSD and also um, extroversion was negatively associated with PTSD. So I guess this means if you're holding it all in, you likely can put yourself at risk when, you, when you're exposed. So it might be better to be a sharer of that, but people come again. I mean, 
you're introvert or you're an extrovert. So the way you deal with things could make a difference. So I think it's important to people understand that we come to the situation as individuals. But resiliency is something that is definitely in the literature now as far as something we need to think about if we can foster resiliency amongst nurses. Because again, when we think about workforce issues and one of them being PTSD, resiliency can be protective against PTSD symptomology. So people that were highly resilient were less likely to have PTSD. Another emerging concept is something called psychological capital. So this is really interesting concept because it's it's an individual's positive psychological state of development, and it includes four elements. It's hope, it's that construct of resilience, it's efficacy, and it's optimism, and it's linked to well-being. But what's really important about psychological capital is it's considered a state-like construct. So it might be something that can be developed and strengthened among our workforce. So it's it's something that's emerging in the literature, but we actually also found that there was that association between um, an individual's positive psychological state and their potential for developing post-traumatic stress disorder. This is such important information for nurses, regardless of where they are in their careers. Being able to put a name on what they are feeling and recognizing that they're not alone is so helpful for nurses. So now that you have this information, where do you go from here with your work? So I think this was a great starting place to really examine, okay, what's out there? What do we know about post-traumatic stress disorder? And that was kind of where... I was able to jump off and think about, well, we know that there's a gap in at least my subspecialty of pediatric oncology nursing. There was a lack of information surrounding PTSD and the prevalence in our subspecialty. So I was lucky enough to be able to become part of and be accepted into a program at Boston Children's Hospital called the Nursing Science Fellowship. And this is a structured two-year program, um, which really fosters individuals with clinical questions, and it provides structured mentorship. So this is where Dr. Dwyer, Trisha, and I really were able to work even closely together. So a lot of the work that we're talking about came out of this um, nursing science fellowship program. So we had this area of, I want to look at it in pediatric oncology nurses, and we were able to identify, as I mentioned, that this is a gap in the literature. So let's go ahead and be the ones to find out what's going on in this subspecialty. So I was able to develop a study, and what we found after we completed a survey of a nationwide sample of pediatric hematology oncology nurses is that... um, Really, the prevalence rates in this specialty were very close to what we found are really among what we found in nurses of other specialties. So nurses, we had a response rate of 424 nurses, and the PTSD prevalence rate or the symptomology was at 13.4%. So really, as I mentioned, this prevalence in pediatric oncology nurses is midway between rates reported in nurses of other specialties. But another piece that we found through this study, which was really interesting, is that pediatric oncology nurses had a 4.25 times lower likelihood of exhibiting PTSD symptomology for a one-unit increase in their psychological capital score. 
So after Trisha and I found that psychological capital was a potential area where it could be developed and strengthened in the workforce, we were interested in looking at that in relation to PTSD development. So finding that this strengthening psychological capital was potentially one way to help lower the PTSD prevalence rate in nurses. We found that that was just so promising to be able to really protect the workforce and really help strengthen each individual in the field. I'm so glad to know that you're going to continue and are continuing with this research and to learn more about post-traumatic stress disorder in nursing. I'm sure there are many nurses listening to this podcast that feel the same way. Before we end, are there any final things that you would like to share with the listeners? I think um, for me, the most important issue is, is really, let's just keep talking about it. It, it has historically been um, this cost of caring issues have historically kind of been this, these issues that we sort of don't always talk about. Um, I, I know an, another author often describes it as shrouded in silence, which always spoke to me because sometimes that's true. I think we're getting better at, at bringing awareness to the issue, but we need to continue to do that. So COVID has certainly shined a spotlight on, on this workplace issue and has in, increased like the global awareness of it. And there's a lot being published on it right now, specific to what has happened over the last 18 months. So um, it's just important to know that it's a growing concern for nurses. It, it is a workforce issue. Um, we need to acknowledge that, um, that sometimes what we're dealing with is it hard. And um, for nurses at the bedside, really should understand what the symptoms are and know that it's okay to reach out if, if you are having sort of prolonged symptoms and things aren't getting better for you. It's okay to reach out and to say, hey, I'm, I'm feeling these things. This is what, uh, what's happening to me. What, what does this mean? You know, do I need additional help or not? So really recognizing yourself or those around you that may need help and not just a break. Because sometimes we do just need a break, but sometimes we do need more. So supporting that culture that, you know, it's okay to talk about our mental health in nurses. I mean, we try to be so strong for, for others. We don't always take care of ourselves as we should, but it's okay to be talking about nurses' mental health. It's important that we do because really we can't be the best for our patients if we can't be the best for ourselves. So I think that's really an important takeaway in all of this. Thank you, Tricia. Michelle, do you have any last takeaways for the listeners? Yeah, I would definitely echo what Tricia is saying and just awareness is key and continuing to talk about it with your colleagues, with your unit managers. And, you know, odds are you're probably not alone in how you're feeling. So just make it a safe place to talk about. But then also, if you have an interest in, well, I want to do more about it, really trust that voice within yourself and be that change agent on your unit. For me, this was an area where I felt like I had some personal experiences and maybe I can offer things to other nurses to help prevent or just help build up the different, you know, supportive measures for nurses. So a few things that I really worked on developing at Boston Children's Hospital was actually working with Dr. DeGrazia to model a program on the hematology oncology unit that we call HEART 
modeled after NEST in the ICU. And what this is, is a peer-to-peer -peer support program. So really being able to build up those collegial relationships, because as we talked about, we know the workforce matters and we know that those relationships matter. But being able to check in with yourself and your colleagues and really just have that supportive nature is so important. Another important program that I feel very privileged to be a part of was really helping to start a promoting resiliency program. So this is something that originally was in person. We started doing some online offerings during COVID and now we're gonna go back in person. But working with other departments, so I've been able to collaborate with the professional development department, music therapy, creative arts, and together we're making this really unique program for all hospital staff who maybe just wanna learn more about resiliency learn a little bit more about mindfulness and how to incorporate things into their daily life. So there's a lot of literature out there and then there's a lot of programs out there. So I would say if you're interested in learning more or maybe about starting something on your own unit, just start by searching, start by seeing what's out there and then just feel empowered to say, I can make a difference. Well, I wanna thank you both for sharing this information. It's so important. And um, I've been wanting to interview the two of you for quite a while. And I'm finally glad we were able to find the time. So perhaps we can have you back again someday. We'd Thank be honored. Guys. Thank you. Yeah, we'd absolutely love that. Because as you know, um, I will continue to be working with my colleague, Michelle Schuster, on this work. And we look forward to sharing um, results from our future work with your audience. So we'd love to come back. Thank you so much for having us. Wonderful. Thank you. This has been a production of Open Pediatrics. Check out the description box to view the resources and journal articles referenced in this podcast. To hear more podcasts like this one, log on to openpediatrics.org.